If you know this chant, welcome to join with me together. Namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Namo tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhotasa Bhutang Dhammang Sanghang Namasami So I've been asked to say a few words this evening about disappointment and uh, overcoming disappointment and uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to invite you for just a moment most people would not like to consciously think about disappointment but uh, now with with the good awareness that we've developed with our bodies and minds in the meditation during this time uh, let us with that you know, with that strength with that compassion uh, let us think about disappointment for a moment with mindfulness of the body so you're still feeling feeling the body aware and present with what's going on in the body and uh, I'd like you to then think about disappointment for a moment and see what you feel if there are any sensations in the body that you notice with the idea of disappointment for me I immediately feel a sinking sensation in the belly and uh, then thinking about it again, a sinking sensation in the chest and then in the belly. How about someone else? What do you notice with a sense of disappointment with regards to the body? Anything else? Anyone else? Something different? Tightness in the chest. Tightness in the chest. Uh, how about anyone else? Yes? Heaviness. Heaviness. Ah, and uh, anyone else? feel some tension in my shoulder. Tension in shoulder, right or left shoulder, both? Kind of in the center of my In the center, I see, like by the neck? Mm. Below the neck. Ah, see this is wonderful that we can feel this so clearly. Anyone else? Heat mm. behind my eyes. Heat behind the eyes. My goodness, how unique mm. we are, yes? How unique and how excellent to be able to feel it. Because often when people feel disappointed, you know, for these feelings, were they comfortable or uncomfortable? For anyone. Comfortable? Anyone? Unpleasant. Unpleasant. And to be able to, like with mindfulness of the body, as we've been developing, and this steady awareness also, to be able to know where, where those feelings are, what they are, and also to be able to just clearly say, unpleasant uncomfortable. Dukkha. This is Dukkha. To know this is Dukkha. How about the opposite? How about non-disappointment? Non-disappointment. Is there an opposite? What would be the opposite? Another word for non-disappointment. Freedom. Freedom. Oh, hey. Anyone else? 
joy. All right, that's great. I'm feeling much better already. Do you notice what's happening when you, with our, you know, this human body and mind, if we allow it to be, is so naturally compassionate. I know people who are really working on trying to, you know, trying to develop their compassion, and yet all of us, in fact, naturally, as part of what we're born with, with a human body and mind, almost always, unless there's some kind of really terrible, difficult inborn karma. This is something that we're, we're born with this ability, and it's like just to allow the natural ability that's there not to be protected, blocked, suppressed, but to allow it to function. Anyone else for non-disappointment? Non, no disappointment. What? Victory. Victory. What does victory feel like? in the body. Are you still paying attention to what's happening with the body? Hot. That's interesting. And is that comfortable or uncomfortable? Dynamic. Interesting. Do you have any sense of it being like painful or pleasant? Hmm. Interesting. So I, I would think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. It depends. I feel like depends on what kind of victory. <laughs> But the victory of non-disappointment, to me, I feel like excellent, really excellent. How about anyone else? Non-disappointment. Agreeability. No. Huh? Agreeability. Agreeability. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, there are some interesting sensations. Anyone else for non-disappointment? Success. Success. Yeah, like it's something like a blowing up your ego. Blowing non-disappointment you know, like, does yeah, or disappointment does? <laughs> Oh, pleased with yourself. I see. This might be actually a little bit more than non-disappointment. So this is very important that you mention that because not only is it non-disappointment, that, but then there's pleased with oneself and then pleased with oneself is becoming ego and then yeah. it's proliferating and becoming <laughs> something something more. So this yeah, is true. It, it doesn't end there. Yeah, yeah. So this is for this is good to observe as well. Does something does it end? Is it is it just that or does it actually go on to become something else? Does it proliferate into something else and to be able to see and know that? Very important. So many people because these things sensations like disappointment are uncomfortable for almost anyone would say that's uncomfortable. So often we protect ourselves from feeling it, protect ourselves from knowing it. It's not that there's not something happening in the body. It's not that there is no tension in the shoulders or that there is no, you know, the, the, the guts, the descending, descending in the belly or, you know, whatever, that, that heat behind the eyes, whatever. It's not that it's not there, but often people don't allow themselves to really feel and see and know it, but it's going on, it's like it's going on in the body anyway. And if it's not seen and known, and we're not able to, we're not able to go into non-disappointment, sometimes it gets caught in the body. And then those things, like if you hold your hand closed for just a short time, everybody try for just a minute, like close your fist tightly, and how does it feel? Painful? Or just regular or okay so just like this for such a short time and you open it and then there's that feeling of releasing feeling of relaxing but supposing I asked you to hold it for two minutes straight you know what happens you're going to have open it up you're going to have a cramp in your hand and it's going to even that's going to be painful and what if you were to hold it for years 
oh dear, and then a lot of protection because becomes can become so hard and so painful that it's like really feels like needs to be covered over, needs to be protected, like something hard that you have to put a lot of padding, shielding around, yes? So how easily that can happen if we don't, if we're not able, you know, if we don't have this kind of base like we were developing with our meditation earlier, to be able to see and feel and know what's going on and also allow it to, as we were watching everything rising and passing, allow it to rise and be known and allow it to pass, or to go to the opposite to go to what is more healthy and wholesome. This is like the muscle, like we, we closed our fist and then consciously with, you know, with our mind, directing our minds and thought, open. Yes, and that muscle opened. And so it is so important to be able to work with other things in this same kind of way. So when there's a closing on something emotionally and there's a response in the body, supposing it were the, the heat that I was hearing about and how to, how to know what to think that can bring coolness or can clear that because we just observed, just a thought. All of us are just here in this room together and yet just the thought of disappointment and these effects on the body were there. These are real tightness in the shoulders and heat behind the eyes and, you know, the various and, you know, feeling in the guts or in the chest or all, all real and can certainly stay like that for a long time. So how to know, how to know if, if it has happened, if it has happened, how to be able to open up the possibility, open up the other idea, even to be able to stop, to sit, to stand, and what would it be like? What would, what would it be like not to be disappointed in this case? What would that be like? What would that be? And to sit and st or stand or lie and wait and observe the shift, observe the change. What would non-disappointment feel like in this case? What would that be like? What could allow me to move into that space? What kind of thinking? What kind of attitude? What kind of whatever? Asking that question. What can do that? What can do that? And then listening, then paying attention and working, working that muscle. I would suggest like we just did this ourselves, I would suggest with nothing first. means we think, we thought about this, we all have experience, but it's like nothing is happening with this. We're practicing just, just for practicing, just with nothing, just getting a sense of what that feels like. How to work this muscle of the mind or muscle of the emotions of the psychology in this kind of way. You know, what it feels like when it closes or whatever that motion is. What it feels like when it opens or unbinds or releases. Uh, whether that's a, a burst of energy upwards or outwards or you know what, whatever that is. But there's more than that. Because that's like working with the after effect. So when something has happened, working with the after effect is very important. Not only is there that part, there's the possibility to learn from it. 
if, like in our meditation earlier, we're going into the cave, we're discovering what is there, this cave of body and mind. This is to learn something, to see something, to know something. This is to gain insight into what is going on in body and mind and how it's working, to see and know what's happening, this discoverer's mind, the inquiring mind, the inquirer's mind, yes? The investigative mind. This is the mind of insight, the faculty of insight that then allows us, we make that steady, clear, calm, balanced, stable space and then allows us to see into and see what is actually going on with this phenomena, uh, these patterns, these stalactites and stalagmites are layers of things that are there, what, whatever this is in, in this cave, yes? Um, so the different caverns that are, that are within. Uh, so to see and know, and then we can also ask, how did that happen? Why did that happen? How did that happen? What happened? Disappointment is painful. I don't want to suffer. None of us want to suffer. All of us, all of us share in wanting less pain and suffering, not to associate with suffering, and we would like to associate much more with the, what are all the joy, the the happiness, the victory. <laughs> Every single one of us wish this for ourselves and we wish this for those that we truly love. We, in our deep heart of, of, loving, of loving them and that deep heart of compassion, we also wish this for them as we wish it for ourselves. Definitely we wish that for ourselves. So, oh, I took a wrong turn somewhere. I took the road to Dukkha. Where did it happen? backtracking, looking back. How did that happen? Where did it happen? I took a wrong turn somewhere. Where did it happen? What happened? How does it happen? Do you know? Have you paid attention? If you've gotten disappointed, do you know? How did you get into that? How did it happen? Ayasavijana. Well, it was the same thing when you're talking about the fist. It's grabbing onto something, oh. wanting it to be a particular way, grasping. Onto grabbing something. onto something, wanting it to be a particular way and grasping onto it. What are you grasping onto? Are you grasping onto the real thing or an idea? Are you grasping onto a real thing or a fantasy? What's being grasped? Fantasy. Fantasy, someone says. Any others? What, what is it that you're grasping? Aversion. Grasping aversion. Oh, there you go. Disliking something, yes? Um had the wish, the wish for it to be different than it actually was, different than it actually is. The grasping wish, to grasping onto a dream, a fantasy. In this case, a dream means something that's not real. Yeah, grasping on something that's not real. And what happens when you try to grasp something that's not real? Will you gain satisfaction? Will you gain victory? Will you gain that joy in it? What do you think? If you don't mind the fact that you might learn something, 
If you don't mind the fact, you might learn something. It's true, actually. We can experiment. I really appreciate now what was just said. We can experiment. That is a great attitude. It's like, let me go in and, and see and see what this is. You have to be a bit careful, though. It's like, if it's something that's dangerous, until you really develop your skills, please please don't just jump in. You may want to... May want to if it's something that's a small thing, okay. Okay. Gain your skills there. If you're going to consciously enter into something as an experiment to learn, going in with a good attitude, yeah, means actually what are you expecting in this case? Are you expecting something real or unreal? I bet you're expecting something real. It's going to be hard to get disappointed. <laughs> that kind of mind going into things. Normally you're actually you're you're looking for the real already. So it's going to be hard to get seriously disappointed because you've you've gone in with a mind an open mind to observe what's actually going on. Not going in with a fantasy in mind grabbed on your mind glommed on to close down around a fantasy so yes I agree with you about that very much and you can try and yet already you're going to be throwing your experiment just a little bit because you're going in with a far better attitude than one that's going to get you seriously disappointed it's going to be really hard to get seriously disappointed and really suffer over it with that kind of attitude because she's going in looking for the real and to learn from it with an open mind. And with that kind of mind, it's really hard to get seriously disappointed. That is the mind that's seeking the real, looking for the real, that's not going in with an expectation. Or even if it is an expectation, it's an expectation like, I've been disappointed by this kind of thing before, let's see how it's happening and if I'm going to get disappointed again. So she's, you know, expecting, someone might say that's negative, it's like expecting disappointment. Oh, expecting disappointment sounds like, you know, more belly is falling or something. <laughs> it sounds like that could be really negative. Uh, like a nihilist or pessimist or a pessimist, yeah? Pessimistic attitude, like going in expecting disappointment, that's going to make disappointment happen. But she's not talking about a pessimistic attitude, in fact. She's talking about a very, a very realistic one that's like knowing actually, yes, you know, I've driven down this road before and I know if I turn right then there are some potholes here and thinking there will likely be potholes, not thinking, you know, I've driven down this road and there were potholes before, and if there are potholes again today and they didn't fix them, I am going to just... <coughs> you know, those people, what do I pay taxes for anyway? And like this, and, and then the person passes you and beep, 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 and you son of a... <laughs> Uh, but that's not what she's talking about. That's not what she's talking about. She's like, I, I saw there were potholes here before. I'm driving there today. Let me look out for that. Let me see, let me see how it happened. If I turn left here, am I still going to fall into that pothole in that place that I remember it or not? Last time I didn't turn here. Let's see if I, if I come around here and I'm looking for it. Am I going to crash into it or not? And I think there's a good chance that she may see it coming and she may actually be able to go 
around it and not fall into it. And yes, she will learn. She's not going to walk out of it disappointed. She's going to walk out of it feeling empowered, and she's going to walk out of it wiser and smarter, and she's probably going to have a little bit of joy and some of that feeling of victory that was being talked about, because this is this is such an excellent attitude. This is such an excellent attitude. So what happens? Again, what happens? How do you get disappointed? How is it that we make such fantasies, that we make such unreal ideas? Where do they come from? Where do these ideas come from that aren't, that are somehow separated from the reality of things? We've made up this idea that's different than the actuality. How does that happen? Where does that come from? Ignorance. Ah, Jana says ignorance. Not Ignorance means not knowing. Not knowing. Not seeing, not knowing. In Pali, avijja, not understanding means a misunderstanding. In classical Buddhist Sanskrit, mumyang means an absence of light, means an absence of awareness. Not aware, unaware, not seeing, not not knowing. It was shrouded in darkness, it was covered over. We weren't able to see the actuality. The light of awareness has not penetrated to the truth of what's actually going on with this situation. Sometimes from not looking, Sometimes from these kinds of, you know, this mind that protects, that tries to protect. It's like trying for our welfare, but then covers over the things and we can't see them and then crash. And there's a crash and bang and, you know, how did that get there? What the heck is going on with that? Who put that there? That's not what I was expecting. You know, that's not what's supposed to be there. (laughs) Why is that there? It's not how it's supposed to be. But, you know... Yeah, where does that idea come from of how it's supposed to be that can be different than the reality? This is, yes. The expectations that we put on each other, like our society, our... Expectations, our society, our culture. Yes, it's so true. Uh, The expectations of our society and culture. We likely learned this from our parents, if our parents had unrealistic expectations or if there are a certain amount of them around in the society and culture and if we just took those in if we just took those in and then they seemed like they became a part of us and we just believed them someone said there's santa claus and we believe there's santa claus and when we found out that it's our parents Oh, disappointed. They lied to me. They lied to us. The whole society has made up this lie. How could they do that? Why? Why do we do such a crazy thing? It's like, what is it? Deceiving, deceiving hundreds and thousands and millions of children as a social culture. <laughs> Tooth fairy and Santa Claus and, and like everybody who dies is going to heaven and this kind of thing. And you know, it's going to be, you're going to get married and you're going to be happy forever after. You're going to ride off on the white horse together and you're just going to be la di da di da da and happy and, and nothing's ever going to happen. You're not going to get sick. You're not going to get old. Better shut those old people in the home and don't look, don't see. And the dead ones behind, you know, heavy duty bolts and locks on the casket heavy 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 and then bolts and locks on the door and tinted windows and then there are the 
two, three layer curtains and close it all off, not going to see because it's different than the fantasy. And then we live in this world at risk, at risk of seeing the actuality of things. And because our life and our sense of well-being is built on a fantasy, when the curtain opens, when the bolt opens, then, oh, the reality. And if we thought the fantasy is good and the reality is bad and wrong, then when that happens, we'll feel like the good has been taken away and the bad and the wrong is what's left. Oh, dear. But for the reality-oriented mind, just the opposite. I would say that every real religious teaching is truth-centered and truth-oriented. And this saying, the truth will set you free, is not a false one. Living in a fantasy world is dangerous, especially when the real world exists. <laughs> because time by time the real world has the tendency to break through, to break through into our awareness. The reality happens. There's no stopping it. It happens. The nature of this world with its earthquakes, with its typhoons, the shifting of all these natural elements, all of that, it's completely natural. It's been going on for how many? Hundreds of thousands of millions of billions? How many? How long do you know? How long has this been going on, this process? Even if there have been, as in the Buddhist text, universal eons of expansion and contraction, these bodies are made of the crushed dust of how many galaxies, you know? It's like we can try to imagine. I mean, this is... That was destroyed. Our food has grown out of things that existed previously that are destroyed. Our cars are being powered out of what existed previously that's become fossil fuel and you know all of all of this yes the the sun is burning things up this body is burning things up uh this is you know this is the the actual actual nature of of our world and what about what about our mind our hearts our relationships yeah uh did you actually ever see anyone who did meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright, and then they were just completely happy together forever. And they didn't get old and they didn't die. Never lost either one of them. Or how about this? What do you think would be better? Maybe you both die in the car crash at the same time, and then it's like you don't have to lose each other, right? But how are you going to do that without grieving friends and relatives? You know, we all we can all die together, and it's like trying to thinking realistically about the fantasies. Would, wouldn't that be great? An asteroid will hit Earth, and we'll all die together, and then none of us have to grieve over each other, right? <laughs> it's just if you start to if you start to think about it, it just starts to get. I mean, you start to see it's fantastical. It's it's fantasy. What are we wishing for? What are we longing for? And can we attune our minds? Can we attune our interest to what is real and actual in that kind of way? Not with a sense of aversion, not with a sense of betrayal, not with a sense of it not being how it's supposed to be. It means different than the fantasy.
different than the yarn that's been spun. Can we do that? Can we do that? What is it to incline the mind, incline the heart, as in the great, these great religious sages, this mind of such incredible yearning and devotion for seeing and knowing what's real, what's true, for wanting to get through the ignorance, feeling that the ignorance is the enemy. If there's any enemy, the misunderstanding is the enemy. The ignorance is the enemy. Often for those who meditate a lot, who are very sincere about the practice, they start to feel like that. I personally think don't have to be quite so negative. Don't necessarily have to look at it as an enemy. But certainly it's hard to find any kind of afflictive mental state or afflictive emotion that doesn't have ignorance or misunderstanding as or a false expectation or an idea that's unreal means ignorance as a main causal factor. Have you ever experienced you got upset with someone? Something happened, you got upset with them, you got frustrated, and then you heard from someone else about what happened, and then you realized, oh, that's what happened. And then you felt this great sense of relief because suddenly you understood. That's what happened. That's why that happened. Oh, wow. And there was that unbinding and releasing and opening and all that <coughs> that you had about how could she and how could he and this and I really don't like when they do that and, and I wish it weren't and these kinds of things. Uh, shifts and changes through actually understanding. The great blessing of actually understanding. Oh, because of that. Right, right. Now it makes sense. Now I understand. The ignorance is gone. Or at least a big part. The part, the misunderstanding, the wrong understanding that was being grasped, that was being held onto, that was making for that pain and suffering. That's the one that's then opened and released and relaxed and is gone. But I want to hear from you other causes other causes of disappointment other than fantasies, false expectations? Are there any real causes for disappointment? I want to know if you've got, if you've got real causes for disappointment. Yes? There's a disappoint, disappointed person there. Disappointed and, person? And that's me. Oh. And so there is a me there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when there's less of that. Yes. There's less of a disappointment. So there was a me that was there that was disappointed. Yes. I appreciate that. It's true. Uh, it's like, uh, what is it, like the suffering of self-consciousness. It's hard to have when there isn't self-consciousness there. <laughs> when, you're not, when you're not feeling self-conscious, it, that suffering is not there. So that's true. This is uh, about the idea of there being a me, the the I, the I center, the I 
often against the other, against the other person, against the other thing, against the world. And in this case, is the I right or not? Often in this kind of case, there's the feeling, I am right and the other is wrong. What happened is wrong. What the other person is thinking or saying is wrong. And I know better. Now I'd like to ask everybody, like maybe every one of us has had that experience, thinking that we know better. I would say that uh, Sumedha knows better than everyone else, and I know better than everyone else, and Ayasui Jana knows better than everyone else, and Holly knows better than everyone else, and April knows better than everyone else. Uh, every every single one from their from their own perspective uh, can feel like that they know better than better than everyone else, and that can be constructed then to think that I am right and everyone else is wrong where the other is wrong, where the things are wrong, or how it happened is wrong, how it was done is wrong. Sometimes, sometimes I think it's true. Supposing you knew what was supposed to happen, you think you knew what was supposed to happen, and what happened was different. Yes, there's the other side of it. And this is very important because she's brought up about ego, uh, about a kind of self-fabrication. Yeah? Uh, and this is the other side. There's the side of, side of thinking, I'm right and the other is wrong. And there's the other side of it, which is not self-aggrandizing, but self-depreciating, which says... I'm wrong. Sometimes it can even say, when it gets activated, compounded, can even say, I'm always wrong, and I'm so bad because I'm wrong. Why am I always wrong? Why do I always get it wrong? Hmm? Like this. This is the other side. It's important to know that this is the other side of a kind of ego, idea, idea about ourself, an idea about ourself. Are these ideas about ourselves changeable? I see nearly everyone nodding. I'd like to get feedback from those who, who didn't make any, any response. Are these ideas about ourselves changeable? Or are they fixed? Are they permanent? Changeable or permanent? Changeable, interesting, changeable. So the Buddha, the Buddha asked on a number of occasions about the things that are changeable. Are they right to consider that that is atta or atman, means truly, essentially, our self, and said that that would only be right to think about it like that if it were unchangeable, if it were immutable and unchangeable, but what is changeable is not right to hold in that kind of way. Mm -hmm. So important to know, important to know this, 
These things are not solid, not fixed, coming together of certain conditions when those certain conditions shift and change as conditions do. Changeable, not our identity, not truly our identity. Just something that came together in a particular way at a particular time that's not going to last forever. It's going to change and become something else. Sometimes people experience both sides. It's like in the morning I thought I was right, but then later on I realized I'm wrong. <laughs> and then the next morning I was pretty sure I was right again. <laughs> like being, a, what is it, uh, I don't know, on a roller coaster or something. It's like right and wrong and right and wrong and thinking that we have to know whether we're right or wrong. But we do. Also, we get taught like that. We get taught like that, don't we? We get taught like that. Yeah. And, and we get rewarded if we meet somebody else's idea of what's right and we don't get the love or the affection or the praise or the honor or the reward if we don't meet somebody else's idea about what is wrong. And then that person who's judging, if they say, you're wrong, and then your sister says, you're always wrong, <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong. And, and then like, if that goes into your body, and that goes into your mind, and it doesn't get cleared, it doesn't get released, you're not able to come back to that and bring truth into it, then it can go into this holding pattern. And then, like the groove in a record, or I'm not sure how it works with the DVDs and CDs. I think also grooves somehow burned in there, burned, mm. burned in there. If that burns in there like that, then comes back and then that voice, if you're not aware, if you haven't developed this awareness to know what's going on in your body and know what's going on in your mind, then you're in that situation and that voice of your sister saying, you're always wrong, you're always wrong, you're so stupid, and like this. And then it's going on, even we're 80 years old, or 70 or 60 or 50 or 40 or 30 or 20, but still it's like how many years ago, and, and then we're playing, playing that back. If we just get hooked into that and we buy into that and we believe that's me, we can just play that over and over again. And was it painful when that happened? Certainly. You're like when you're there, you're in tears. I'm not always wrong. <laughs> you, you're stupid. <laughs> you're wrong. And then you both grow up and then you're like both holding this thing. And it's like two people, two people who are like, maybe, maybe one has gone to, is on the meditation retreat in Thailand, and the other is here in the United States, and something happens, and, and it's like, this one is like, oh, I'm always wrong, and that one's like, oh, I'm always wrong, and from 20 years ago, you know? Uh, if we don't know how to see and care and stop and ask, is that real? Is that true? So I would recommend the path of the truth seeker. I would recommend consciously, consciously making the intention, if it's right for you. For me, this has been a big, a big stopping, a big place of stopping. 
kind of like the meaning of Sankran. Now, with the idea of the sun being at the zenith in the sky, and then it appears to come up to that and then like turn around and go the other way, it's like a big stopping and turn around. That is recognizing I am suffering from what is unreal. Unreal. Let me turn my heart to what's true. Let me incline my heart to what's true. This is the path, the path of being a truth seeker, the one who embraces truth, the one who loves truth, the one who adores truth, the one who is so more interested in truth than any fantasy, than any lie. But I mean, of course, the fantasies, the lies, the misunderstandings have their truthfulness too. A misunderstanding is just a misunderstanding. A fantasy is just a fantasy. A dream is just a dream. A misunderstanding is just a misunderstanding. The mind can become steady, equal, and very safe in what's true. And for me, I love that part. This is safe. What is true is a safe and secure refuge. The reason it's a safe and secure refuge, the reason it's worthy of being called a safe and secure refuge is because it's true. And the truth is immutable. means for a fantasy it can be shaken, it can be destroyed at any time, always living dangerously. It's a gamble and it's a gamble that we have to lose sooner or later, even if we're not, even if we don't realize we're losing already because living in the truth, embracing truth, loving truth is such a greater life than living a fantasy. Living a fantasy, living amidst fantasies is living amidst shadows. It's like having ghosts as companions. Then you feel, you know, why can't we be real with each other? There's no depth in this relationship. There's no real meaning in my life. How terrible to feel like that. How awful it is to feel like that. And yet, if we live in that kind of way, if we live amidst fantasies, and we're living amidst these shadows, we're living amidst these dreams, then it will feel like that. If we live in truth, we can touch down into the depths of the meaning of our life fearlessly, because nothing to fear there. Our mind embraces truth. Our mind loves truth, is inclined to truth. This is what we are looking for. This is what we are seeking. So nothing to be afraid of in that. And that can make us intrepid. That can make us fearless. It can be a great base for strength. It's like a kind of solidity that's deeper than the earth because it penetrates everything in this entire universe and beyond. It's the truthfulness of things. I've heard some people these days even speaking about like the truth of all things as a new age uh, synonym for God or new age synonym for Nibbana, both. The truth of all things, the actuality of all things as a synonym for Dhamma. Yes? Mm -hmm. The truth of all things. I am a truth seeker. Where will I not find truth? Where is truth not available? What is not true? Is there anything, actually, that's not true? We can make up all kinds of ideas, dreams, fantasies, concepts. They're true just, just like that. True as an idea, true as a dream, true as a fantasy, true as a concept. 
might not be anything more than that. But true, just as that concept is just a concept. Idea is just an idea. Dream is just a dream. Fantasy is just a fantasy. And if we are truth-seeking, no problem with that. My mind is harmonized with that, easy with that, steady with that. Fantasy is fantasy. Not at war with it. It's just that. Steady. I don't have to put myself down over it. I don't have to put myself up over it. Just steady. Just like that. Yeah? Hmm. So, um, I'd like to... Uh, uh, pause right here because um, we got started a little late this evening. Uh, I don't want to say in truth late. I feel like we started at just the right time. Mm -hmm. Different than the schedule, but the time that was right for us. In fact, in truth. That's my mind. Mm -hmm. And um, I looked at that time and now this is the period of time that we, uh, that we had, had scheduled. And um, I would like to... Um, I would like to give time if you have any particular questions about this that you'd really like to address and also if anybody needs to be going because of what time it is to like please please feel free to do that please feel free to take care of what you what you need to do um, do you have any are there any particular thoughts questions issues something that didn't make sense or like not addressed or you make us feel like disappointment is now our friends. Really? Well... Can certainly be a good teacher. It could be a good teacher. Mm. I mean, what if you it's our teacher this evening. <laughs> <What if laughs> you it's our Dhamma teacher. Satisfaction and don't have less of a disappointment. More satisfaction and less disappointment. In even more so that it's real, right? Because you, the message is that be careful of what you think is real. Yes. But if you somehow, by the, by the sheer luck, you keep getting kind of what you expect, just by chance. Oh, yes. What and if we keep person, getting what we expect? This is really living dangerously. Yeah, yeah, Don't we then, think then this is so lucky, right? That's what, I'm what you want, what you expect, you just get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And then, yeah, yeah. it's true. That can really build up your danger. Be, because yeah. often when people have such a run of luck, such a run of luck if they're not truth-oriented. If they are truth-oriented, they have such a run of luck mm -hmm. and then something, if they are truth-oriented, it's mm -hmm. going to be hard that they're going to have the false expectation, actually. Mm -hmm. They're going to be expecting the real. This is one of the things that I love about this path that I've noticed over time. It used to be, and when I first entered into monastic life, I had so much idealism. I had so much expectation that was completely unreal. The actuality of it was really different, and I got so hurt by that. And not only did I hurt myself, I also hurt other people. I blamed them, I complained, I challenged them. I'm like, this is not supposed to be like this. <laughs> you know, I think I know how it's supposed to be, and the situation is different than that. Yeah, And I suffered so much over that. How many days and nights of angst and, you know, feeling like it's wrong and it shouldn't be like that and how I suffered over that. It's an awakening. It's an awakening and a big turnaround, a real turnaround to come to stop and realize all of this angst is over 
my having ideas that are different than the reality? And what do I think, where is that going to lead me, other than with lots of angst to the grave or the crematorium? You know, am I going to really be able to make the world the way that I actually expect? What about all those other people who are expecting something else? Shall I, I'm sorry to, to say it so badly, but uh, what, shall we make genocide or... You know, this, this, lots of people have tried. It's like, whoa, this particular group, if we just get rid of them because they're thinking differently, they have different ideas, then everything will be okay. It, the world will be the way I want it. And, but has it ever worked for anybody? Finally, really, has it ever actually worked like that? You know, even it seems like somebody gets on top for a moment, like they're on top of the corporate ladder, and then someone else comes up the next day and big news, knock them down. Someone else is number one. <laughs> so fast, so fast, yeah. Uh, so I suffered enormously. Uh, and the choosing to turn my mind to what is real rather than the I false ideals rather than the false expectations, looking for what is a false ideal. How can I know it's a false ideal? Because it doesn't match with reality. How can I know it's a false expectation? Because it doesn't match with what's real. Yeah? Trying to look for, look for the real. Embrace the real. And I found that over time, with this turnaround, there's this strange thing that happens. And that is what is expected, if anything at all, tends to turn out like that. But not in the kind of way where it's like, eh, I got what I like. Like there's a, there's a way that we can consume, take satisfaction in things being the way we wanted or we, we liked, like we got what we wanted. And if you feel that in yourself in that kind of way, please know you're living risky. Because as good as you feel at that moment, that's how bad you're going to feel when it's not like that. Yeah? Often. Often it may be so. Right? That's the amount. That's the amount of the, of the converse. Yeah? You can even stop and ask yourself, how would I be feeling right now if it didn't come out like this, if it weren't like this? But with this path of practice, regularly attuning one's mind to what is the actuality of the body and mind, being able to see expectations just for what they are, being able to see fantasies, dreams, wants, just for what they are, and looking at what's actually going on, this changes the mind. It changes the mind. It changes the mind in such a way that what happens is you find that your ideal is like coming smack on with what the people and things are actually doing. Your expectation is aligned with what the people and things are actually doing. You expect your spouse to be human and to be really, truly who they are, as they are, with all of their strengths and weaknesses, 
And so for your children, so for your parents, so for your co-workers, so for your Dhamma friends, so for the people that you're sharing the highway with, you don't expect that everyone on the highway is going to be super happy and uh, like, um, you know, think, if someone cuts me off today, rather than thinking, <coughs> and <coughs> to them, maybe how about you might think, okay, there are going to be people in a hurry. What if I leave myself a little bit of time? And what if I look out for them? And if I see them, what if I offer them as dana, the gift of that space, being seen and being offered to go ahead, rather than having to bump, 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 and you know, cut in in front and this kind of thing. Many different ways to do it. Many different ways to do it, yeah? So expecting the real, expecting the actuality, in as much as you know what's real, comes out very, very differently. Very differently. Different experience. I really, I want to recommend it, even though I'm just like, you know, little bit of a practitioner with this, my whole life, but little bit of a practitioner with this, in as much as I've worked with this, it's like, wow, really amazing. This is very different. This is such a different way to live. This is so much easier. I have so much more good energy. Experience of life is so much better. I'm not getting into trouble, getting in afflicted, conflicted, and, you know, all this energy bound up and scratching and raking against, you know, what is it? Just my ideas. Ideas, ideas, clear the slate of body and mind. Sweep, 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 clean, clean and clear. Clear that out. Now what is it? Let that go. Why keep those ghosts? Why keep those fantasies, those demons, you know, in my house? They're not self. They're not me. I am so much easier without them. I think that my difficulties a lot is like, um, you know, I plan organizing mm. planning and organizing yes at the end and then I put in so much effort to put in my pieces yes and then other people have to put in their pieces in order for it to reach the goal right so I plan for them to put in the pieces but then you know they failed to do so I didn't do it right and so it didn't reach the goal. And at that point, at that moment, I would, I, I was furious. Yes. And even though I try, I think in general I was able to see that it's just my own wanting that goal. Or mm -hmm. everybody wants the goal too, but it yeah. didn't happen. But um, still, it shows. Yes. Show either in, it's a show on my face. Mm, sure. Show on my voice, but and then it's kind of bothering me. Although I don't let it bother me a lot, but it shows a lot. Mm. I guess so. It mm. must be. I must feel that way, and I think that I didn't quite know how to do hold both at once. Why there is a there is a plan, there is a goal in doing anything in life. There is yeah. that have to work in steps like that, there's a process. So when the more I put into the process, the more I was looking for the fruit of it, and then it fell apart because, you know, I didn't get it. Yes. And I yes. was just like, 
I love this expression. Um, there is one uh, one neighbor to our hermitage uh, who who likes to say, "We make plans, and the goddess laughs." I think it's a variety of "We make plans, and God laughs." Uh, but I I I kind of like the expression, yeah, uh, because it's like if we make plans and we don't have all the information, we're not holding all the cards, and you know, we didn't know there's something else scheduled to be happening, <laughs> then <laughs> it it may be different than what we planned, right? Uh, so I feel that's really, really important when we're planning uh, to, if if we do have all the cards, means like if we do have such a big perspective on, on things, maybe like the, the mind of the Arahanta, means able to see all of like whatever they apply their mind to of of causes and conditions it is so amazing you know it's considered in buddhism it's called an imponderable because if one hasn't expanded one's mind to be able to try to understand you know all of the all of the chain of causation and all the things involved over over time and space is like blow your mind yeah Yes, the vipassana meditators, you know, more and more circuits come on, so we're able to see those connections between things and able to understand the conditions more and more, and that makes people happier when they can do that. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the effects of vipassana meditation, according to science. But for if that's not really fully developed like that, we're not going to see all of it, and that's normal. That's completely normal. So yes, making plans is just like, you know, yeah, may or may not happen. I find it very good for myself, if I've made a plan, to not think about it in a hard kind of way, to think like just like something, like lines drawn in space, you know, means tentative plan. I always think it's tentative. I never think it's for sure. I never think it's final. I always think it can be modified, may change. Something else is likely to happen. This is trying to have realistic thinking, an actual conscious effort to have realistic thinking when planning. I don't know everything that's going on. This plan may change. It may change many times may not work. Something else may happen. That something else, for me, I try to keep this open mind of discovery, like I'm interested, more interested than attachment to the goal of the plan. I'm more interested in seeing what's going to actually happen. And I do that deliberately. Train my mind like that by conscious choice, by conscious decision. I am more interested in seeing what is true, what is real, what's actually going on than any lines that I've drawn on space and being attached to that, especially if that is not in accordance with the actual conditions. If it's not, no way is it going to work. No way. No way doesn't have a snowball's chance in the baseball field. You know, it's <laughs> um, I mean, I may have mixed analogies. <clears throat> no chance. 
if we haven't seen the the conditions really well and properly and thoroughly likely it's just like the what is it the roulette wheel or something you know maybe there's a one in one thousandth chance that it's going to come out like that maybe but there's a lot of other chances going on so I consciously I know that I know that's true so I tell myself the truth I consciously and deliberately tell myself the truth again and again rather than telling myself lies and hoping that if I tell myself the lies enough, long enough, that that will actually make it come to be so. Not. It's living dangerously, living at high risk. Your chances of getting disappointed are so high. Yeah, and even like Susie was saying, even if you do get that one in one thousandth chance, then you're attached your mind to what is such a risky chance and then you live more dangerously. The one who gets that expectation and it was based on a false a false idea, a false expectation, that one becomes more attached and they live more, then they live more dangerously. It's like they've risen higher and when when it's the other uh, 999th, they're going to fall harder. Why make yourself dangerous like that? So I tell myself, I try to tell myself in so many ways again and again the truth of these things. And telling myself the truth, when the truth happens, no disappointment, not a big surprise. And if I accidentally didn't tell myself the truth about it, then I try to learn what it is. What was true? What is true? And then next time, tell myself that. Because that makes you safe. That makes you solid. That makes you secure. If it's real, if it's true, it's not going to disappoint you. It's not going to get you in trouble in that kind of way. So I feel this is an act of kindness to myself. An act of kindness based on deep understanding and to think about others in this kind of way is an act of kindness to them in relationship. If I expect someone to be different than they are and I demand that of them and that's not them, what kind of kindness is that? Setting up impossible expectations of other people. How is that kind? And if we're living, whether it's our job, our family, our whatever, if we're living with those kinds of inhuman, unrealistic expectations of each other, a world without kindness, we may as well be machines, right? What good is that? What good is that? Where is the humanity in that? Hard on our hearts. We're not machines. We're not. The machines that we make also, how disappointing. How many times my fantastic machines break down every single day. It's like, why doesn't this app work? <laughs> I don't know. I just lost this mail that I spent an hour writing and boop, it's gone. But if I expect, this may or may not last, <laughs> and go into it with that mind, I'm not going to fall so hard when it doesn't, if at all. If at all. Yeah? If at all. So, you want to say something? It just kind of passed, but so, I was just thinking about how hmm. people that um, maybe seem successful 
but it's at a, a cost to other people or other situations. They're like mm-hmm. because of maybe their position in the world or something. It's just like trying to force mm-hmm. an issue. You know, like if Supatra could force everybody to behave because she's going to find them or... Gain enough power to be able to impose your will on... We were talking about that. This megalomania, like this, you know, trying to, yeah, gain enough power to be able to impose one's will on, on others. Yikes. Yikes. And how does it go for those people? I mean, when I look at the history, it's like how many of them commit suicide or get killed by someone? Or, you know, there's, there's always someone else who wants to get more power. Or, and then, like the psychologists psychoanalyze these people and, you know, often find, like, a lot of self-hatred, strange coping mechanism for self-hatred, trying to overcome the self-hatred, yeah? Very strange, if only I could gain enough power to really actually convince myself of this thing that I'm not this tiny, small thing that's bad and wrong that my mother or my sister or my nursemaid or whoever said, you know, and I'm trying to pay back, pay back in a big way to recover my sense of self and autonomy for that to be healed for that to feel safe and secure and yet doesn't work doesn't work like that doesn't work oh how terrible oh how terrible yeah oh such an enormous investment in something that doesn't doesn't actually bring that kind of safety security ease comfort joy victory satisfaction Please don't go that route. If only I could control everybody else better, then I'd be happy, right? Please don't. And if you feel satisfaction in controlling others temporarily, it's like, like what was mentioned before. It's like you gain that, seems like you gain it, watch my fist, seems like you gain it temporarily. Yeah. And then, then what happens? Then what happens? Does the world stop at that point and everything just freezes and it doesn't go on from there and nothing else ever happens again? Yikes! And would you even want it to be so? I don't think so. It's like to freeze in, uh, in, in that moment, yeah? Sometimes that happens in our bodies and minds. We freeze the moments like that. Uh, but it's painful, yeah? If anyway, you don't need to believe me about that part, but like the meditation that we did earlier, check for yourself. You can see for yourself: is it, is it comfortable or uncomfortable? Is it dukkha or not? You know, what is that like? Is there a contraction, a binding, a something somewhere, or is that the, you know, the opening, releasing, ease? You know, is it stable? Is it deep? Is it true? So attending to truthfulness. This is one thing I have not ever found to be shallow, not ever found to be without meaning, not ever found to be 
disappointing. Can I ask you a question? Maybe last one. Okay. You know, like, I'm raising two children. Yes. And I talk to them, like, a little bit, like, from what I learned from the Dharma. And then I don't think I say it the right way because I make them depressed and scared of the world. And they are young people that I think I wish they would be happy, but they become very afraid. And I always regret talking to them. Like I always feel so sad that I don't know how to talk to them because if I tell my daughter, Samadhi, she has a boyfriend that is really nice. And they, I think they love each other a lot. And I say, oh, please don't marry John, because he will get bored of you, and he will go looking for another woman. And you're going to feel so sad, or maybe you will get bored of him, because they are the first love, you know, like they, they are just in love, and they are first for each other. So I say, oh, it's, it's going to be so painful. Don't, please don't, don't think of marrying John. You both need to do many other things. And then maybe later, if you meet again, maybe you want to be with each other. And then she got so sad. And then she said, Mom, you are horrible. You make me get so afraid of the world. You make me feel like nothing is going to work out. I hate you. And then, then I feel like, oh. Can I talk to my children? Mm. Like that kind of reality that I try to talk about yes. without scaring them. And mm. then they're so young and now they are depressed, now they need medicine and you know, it's so so like I don't do the things right. Mm. You know, like you know. you know, I would like to uh like offer forgiveness to all of our parents. How they tried with us, I think, as well as they, as well as they could, as well as they were able, being human beings with more or less wisdom, more or less ignorance, trying their best from their good hearts. <laughs> and <laughs> we compared them to God. The Buddha said we think about our parents as our as as God. We have like often this is part of the false expectation. We expect our parents to be God and goddess. Yeah? And then when we discover that there's something that they're more human than that, often this is the place of the first great big big disappointment. Yes. So forgiveness to all of our parents for being who they truly are for being what they actually are, human beings doing their best, trying and doing their best with all of their strengths and weaknesses, with all of their various, various kinds of things. So forgiveness to all of our parents for, for this. And even if we look at it rightly, it's like, what's to forgive? They're just being themselves. They're just as they are. They're just human according to conditions, how they are is just right, perfect. If you knew all of the causes and conditions of their lives, you would say, yes, 
Exactly, it's like all of the colors that make a painting and each thing that's been put in the place or cooking, every ingredient that's put in the dish, and then exactly as you placed it. It's just right. It, it came to be perfect according to what was put in there. Just, just as is, just right. They're all like that, we're all like that. Yeah? All like that. So for everyone who's a parent, I hope he or she would also offer that kind of, uh, not only the forgiveness to our parents, uh, but also for everyone who's a parent to themselves as well in the same kind of way. Because if we set up unreal expectations of ourselves as parents, we're bound to be disappointed in ourselves. And that's going to hurt us. We can feel so sorrowful, so sad, so painful, blame and judge ourselves for not being good enough compared to the perfect parent. Now, I haven't gone so far. I've been in 17 states and 17 countries, and I haven't yet met that perfect parent. Have any of you? I am. Yeah! <laughs> yes! <laughs> so, where are they? Where do they exist? Yeah? Yeah, of course, some parents are good with some things and some are better with other things and, you know, this kind of thing. But where are those ones that we're comparing ourselves to? I don't know. I never met them. I never saw them. So I would say for ourselves, as well as for our own parents, as well as for our own children, it's like uh, how not to expect or demand or require them to be something different than they actually are how to love them for what they are, for who they truly are, to understand them for what, understand them as they really are, as part of embracing the real, the reality, the truth of this being with whom I share such special karma. How can I love them? How can I know them truly as they are, actually? not at war with any, any part of it. Yes, this is a very amazing thing, whether it's for our own parents or for ourselves or for our children. Such a great gift. Such a great gift, you know? It's liberating. It's liberating. So much time and energy that we spend on these false expectations and the blame and the doubt and the confusion and all that, the conflict that comes up when it's different. The actuality is different than that. The actuality is different than that. The real, the true is different than that. How can we turn our minds to knowing them as they truly are and ourself also? and not thinking that we have to be like some imagination that never existed except for in that imagination. Some fantasy that we compare ourselves to or compare them to and then judge and then get into conflict. 